Shoreshine Podcast, shining a light to the nations. Shalom once again, everyone. I'm Bill Cloud, and I want to welcome you to our program once again. I hope that you are enjoying these programs. I hope that you're learning a lot about the scripture, maybe some things you didn't know before. And I hope that you're tuning in from week to week to week because we continue to build on the themes that we're discussing. And we kind of try to like to, uh, well, uh, connect it to previous programs. So if you miss some of them, you need to go back and catch up because we are sharing some very important things. And today what we're going to continue to do is talk about the days of Noah and, and how it's pertinent to you and to me who, who live, I believe, in the days that Messiah described, those days just before his coming, those days that are to be just like the days of Noah. And what we were discussing in the previous program is the necessity, the importance, the ramifications of a righteous remnant. Noah was that righteous remnant in the days of the flood. And he was a man that remained undefiled in spite of what was going on in his culture, which is to teach us that those who live in the last days are like Noah to be undefiled in spite of what's going on in the culture. That's that's our calling. And because he remained committed to that, he was lifted up above the flood. The flood that destroyed everybody else is the same flood that caused him to be lifted up above it. And we talked about Noah. We also talked about the three Hebrews of Daniel chapter 3, Hananiah, Mushal, and Azariah, who, after being threatened with death of the fiery furnace, did not bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. He did, they did not conform to the thinking of everybody else, and they didn't give in to the pressure that was being placed upon them to bow down and to conform to the Babylonian mindset. And because these three men did not submit and did not conform, but resisted but, and stayed committed to the principles and the truths of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the end, through their commitment, the God of Israel was sanctified. He was glorified through their lives. And they were saved. So we read in Daniel chapter 3, this big confrontation with Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to throw them into the fiery pit. And this is what it tells us. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So they went in bound, they came out loose. They went into this fire that had been made seven times hotter because Nebuchadnezzar was so wrathful and full of anger because the most powerful man in the world could get everybody else to coexist with his way of thinking except this remnant, these people that were committed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he was so enraged and he, he, he threatened these men. You need to keep in mind he knew who these guys were. These were men that, according to Daniel chapter 1, along with Daniel, stood out head and shoulders above all the other people that had come out of Nebuchadnezzar's academy. So these weren't just random Jews. He knew these men. And yet he was compelling them to bow down. And so when they wouldn't, he's enraged. And, and the people that 
uh, cast them into the fire, were consumed by the flames. But they weren't. Again, they went inbound, they came out loosed, and when they came out, they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. And all of this happened because they would not conform. But to quote Paul, they were transformed by the renewing of their mind. They presented themselves most literally as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which Paul tells us is our reasonable service. And because of their faithfulness and their commitment, that is what prompted the most powerful man in the world, the king of Babylon, to give glory to the God of Israel in Daniel chapter 3, verse 29. So that's another example you and I have of what happens when there is a remnant, when there's a people who will, will stand up for what is right and for what is just and who will be righteous, zadik, doing what's right. And again, how do we know what's right? Well, the Bible, the Word of God tells us what is right. And look how very crafty and clever the adversary has been where the Word of God is. For centuries, he's convinced a large number of God's people that most of the Bible has no bearing on their lives anymore. It's been done away with. And the part that they've been convinced has been done away with is the very part that discusses what is right and what is wrong, what is clean, what is unclean, what is holy, what is unholy, what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. And when you get rid of the things that tell us the distinctions between the two, It makes it so much easier for God's people to be seduced into mixing and mingling with things that appear to be good. That's how clever the adversary is. But as I said, and as the scripture tells us, there has always been, and I believe will always be, a righteous remnant who, like these three men, when they they resist the ways of the world and they resist those who would pressure them to conform to the thinking of the world, then God will show himself faithful to them and will deliver them. Let me read to you a promise that we have taken from Isaiah chapter 43 that says this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Now here's something interesting to consider. Is it possible that this promise of when you walk through the fire, I will be there with you. Is it possible that this promise was playing in their minds? Were they thinking perhaps of the promise that God had made through the prophet Isaiah as they stood before the fiery furnace? Don't know, doesn't say, but it's certainly possible. And so these men committed themselves to standing up for what was right knowing that their God could deliver them from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar because their God is the one who raised up Nebuchadnezzar and gave him his power in the first place. But, they said, even if he doesn't do that, even if he chooses that we should give our lives, we will not conform, we will not coexist, we will not bow down. And so, that promise that through Isaiah the prophet that God made to those men, he makes to us as well. But... They had to stand up. They had to resist. They had to be set apart in order that they could walk through the fire to be with God in that fire. For God to walk through the fire with them, well, they had to go through the fire. 
And to go through the fire means that they're going to be committed to being set apart and being acceptable. So in other words, to attain this promise, we have to think like they thought. We have to think like Noah thought. We have to act like they thought. We have to respond the way that Noah did in his generation. And this concept carries forward into the Brit Chadashah, the New Testament, and the writings of Paul specifically, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Messiah with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So if we want that promise, if we want to attain that promise of when you walk through the fire, I'm going to be there with you, then we have to follow the pattern. We have to follow the example that these men have laid out for us, that these, these that have been the remnant in times past have given us to be committed, and in some cases unto death, to stand up for what is right. Not be the type of people that seek to save their lives, because if you do that, you lose it. But to be those who, for his sake, give up their lives. Those are the people who find it. That's what's required of us, to not be unequally yoked. Paul gives us several different ways of looking at it, but the the message is the same. If we have been born again of an incorruptible seed, then we have no business coexisting with something that is not. Light is not supposed to coexist with darkness. And we live in a day and time when culture is increasingly pressuring you and me to conform to that way of thinking. And people, believing people, are falling victim to this, finding it easier, finding it more expedient to just go with the flow rather than to resist it. Well, it is my opinion, based on what the Scripture tells us, that if we give in, if Noah had given in, what would have become of you and me? See, this isn't just about what I do and getting a pat on the back at the end of life. No, it involves more than me. It involves more than you. It involves people that we've never met, perhaps we'll never meet. Noah's obedience is in part why you and I are here today. The example that these three Hebrews set gives us inspiration or should give us inspiration that if we do what they did, that God will do for us the same thing he did for them. This is what is required of us to come out and to be a separate people, not a coexistent people. Here's what Revelation 12, verse 11, has to say about this remnant at the end of days. It says that they overcame him, that is the adversary. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. But it doesn't end there. And they did not love their lives to the death. There has to be that part of us that realizes that when I'm born again, when I come to the Messiah, he said, 
Take up your cross and follow me. And the example that Messiah has set before us is he's willing to lay everything down for God's purposes. And we've got to get to that place. I wouldn't dare say that I'm there yet, but that's where I want to be. And that's where I've got to be if I'm going to overcome the adversary. I'm going to have to resist the draw of culture and society and this attitude of just, you know, let's just all get along and you're okay, I'm okay. Well, the reality scripturally is no, that's not so. I'm to be a separate people. And when I set myself apart from the way the world thinks and the way the world acts, then I will avoid the snare of the adversary because you see, he's very subtle and shrewd in how he goes about to deceive the whole world. And that's how we overcome him. If we avoid his snare, then we overcome him. And if we overcome him, if we avoid his snare, then we also are spared the destruction that's coming to those who eat, drink, marry, and give in marriage, and know not until the flood came and swept them all away. You see, the people that persevere, who have little strength, but yet are faithful to God and to his word, we have a promise from the Messiah himself that he will watch over those people. In fact, I want to read to you from Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 8, what Messiah has to say to the congregation of brotherly love, the congregation of Philadelphia. He says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And so here's what he says. Because they have kept his word. What that tells me is they don't pick and choose which of his commandments and instructions they want to keep. He is the authority. They haven't denied his name. That's what it means. You haven't denied my name. You haven't denounced me. You haven't denounced my authority. You've kept my word. Laodicea, on the other hand, is a mixed congregation. It's hot. Excuse me. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's lukewarm. And that is a mixture of hot and cold. Well, Messiah tells Laodicea, repent. You see yourself one way, but I see you in a totally different light. You need to be zealous and repent, he tells them. But Philadelphia, he says, you've kept my word. You've been true to my word. You haven't conformed to the thinking of the world. But you have been transformed by the renewing of your mind to not think like the world, but to think the way I say, the way I command. And so as a result, Messiah says that I'm going to keep you. I'm going to keep the congregation of brotherly love. I'm going to keep the congregation that's been true to my word, has not denied my authority, that has persevered in spite of what's going on. And the word there, keep, if we take it back to a Hebrew concept, the word would be shamar, which literally means to guard. In other words, what he's saying is because you've done this, I am going to guard you. When all of this destruction is breaking out, when all of the, the testing and the trials that are coming upon the whole world to test those that dwell upon the earth, I will be guarding you. It would be similar to those three men who resisted Nebuchadnezzar's pleas and, and his uh, pressure to conform. They went into the fire, but he guarded them. He, they walked through the fire. 
They saw the fire. They were right there at it. But they did not succumb to it because he guarded them through it. He was there with them in that fire. And that is essentially what Yeshua is telling this congregation that keeps his word, who like Noah are just, zadik, righteous, doing what's right, who are tamim, translated perfect, but really undefiled. They haven't mixed. He says, I'm going to guard you when all these trials are breaking out. Because when the, fl- when the fire comes, or in Noah's case, when the flood comes, you may be passing through it. You may see the effects of it, but you're not going to be harmed by it. And the writer of Hebrews alludes to this concept as well in chapter 12. It's a very familiar scripture, but let's read it beginning in verse 25. The writer says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. And he's referring back to Mount Sinai and what happened in Exodus 19 and 20. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So what is the writer conveying to us? Well, first of all, again, he's referring to things or alluding to things that took place at Mount Sinai. When God came down on top of the mountain, his voice spoke and the earth shook. That's recorded for us again in Exodus 19. But the writer of Hebrews is saying that the next time he speaks in that dramatic fashion, it's not just going to shake the earth. It's going to shake the, in the heavens as well. It's going to shake the cosmos. And the Messiah points this out as well. In Luke chapter 21, he tells us about the powers of the heavens being shaken. He talks about the sea and the waves roaring, all these different things happening, earth and heaven being shaken. Why? Because we're coming to the time of redemption. We're coming to the culmination of things. We're coming to the time of his return. And so it's going to be like those days when everything's being, uh, everything's in an upheaval and he's sifting the nations because he's going to see, according to the writer of Hebrews, what is worthy of standing and what is not worthy of standing. And those things that are going to be built on sand, of course, according to the words of Messiah, are going to fall. They're going to fall very quickly, very dramatically. But those things that can stand, those things that are worthy of standing, are going to endure this shaking that's coming. In Noah's day, it was a flood. In Hananiah Moshal and Azariah's day, it was a golden image set up on the plain of Dura. In our day, it's going to be what Messiah told Philadelphia that he would guard them from, the time of testing that's coming upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. The writer of Hebrews is, talking, is calling it a shaking, not only of earth, but of the heavens as well. And so he, he admonishes us to serve God with reverence, with godly fear. We're told that 
those who fear God have the promise of angelic protection. He says, the angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him, and he delivers them. He delivers them. He guards them. He saves them. He walks through the fire with them. He braces them up upon the flood of waters. All these concepts remind us of what we've already talked about. Noah, the three Hebrews. Because I said earlier, the very flood that destroyed everybody else, man and beast, is the same flood that kept Noah and those who were in the ark with him preserved. The same fire that the three Hebrews walked in with the Son of God is the same fire that killed those men, those Babylonians, who tossed them into the fire. Because that fire, that consuming fire, because that's what the writer of Hebrews says, our God is a consuming fire, has the ability to both destroy and to vindicate. To destroy and to purify. A fire can consume, but this consuming fire that our God is also has the ability to to inhabit, if, if that's the right word, a bush and it not be consumed. So the psalmist tells us in Psalm 68 and then in Psalm 97 that both the sinner or the wicked... And the hills melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. That fire has the ability to consume those things that are not worthy of remaining. Those things that are not worthy of standing. Those things that can be shaken will be shaken. And that includes every nation, every denomination, every industry, every institution, every individual. And the only thing that will remain standing are those things that are worthy of standing. So it's interesting to me that as we come to the end of Hebrews chapter 12, keeping in mind that the writer of Hebrews most likely didn't put that 13 that says this is the beginning of chapter 13 there, if we were continue to read what the writer says, after he has told us that our God is a consuming fire, therefore serve him with reverence and godly fear, it then says in verse 1 of chapter 13, let me read this for you, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. In other words, when the shaking occurs, when God's voice is shaking heaven and earth and everything that is built on sand is toppling and falling, Everything that is not worthy of remaining, everything that needs to be consumed and destroyed and done away with, it will pass away. But there will be those things that endure. There will be those things still standing because they were worthy of standing. They were worthy of remaining. And he says then, let brotherly love endure. The word that is translated for us, endure, literally means to remain. So let brotherly love Remain. Remain through the shaking. To endure the shaking that's coming. And the word, the Greek term for brotherly love, of course, most of you know it, is Philadelphia. So what the writer of Hebrews actually says is, when all this shaking occurs, Philadelphia will remain. But that, to me, takes us back to what Messiah said in Revelation chapter 3 to the congregation of Philadelphia the congregation of brotherly love. You've kept my word. You didn't coexist. 
You haven't denied my name. You haven't denied my authority. You, Though you have little strength, you nevertheless have persevered. You have overcome. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. Those are the people who overcome, and those are the people that he says, when all this shaking comes, when all this testing comes, I'm going to guard you. I'm going to walk through that fire with you. I'm going to be there with you because you've been faithful to me. I'm going to be faithful to you. And not only that, I'm going to use you, this remnant, I'm going to use you to bring glory to my name, to sanctify my name, so that in the case of Nebuchadnezzar and the three Hebrew men, that even the most powerful man then on earth, who was called a king of kings, has to concede that the God of Israel is God, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe with my whole heart that you and I are living in the days that Yeshua described as being the days of Noah, when men were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage, which is to say, not only were they going through their daily routines, oblivious to everything that's going on around them, but they were mixing and mingling, just as they were in the days of Noah. But in the days of Noah, there was a righteous remnant who did not conform, but were transformed by the renewing of their mind. They did not bow down to the image. They did not concede to the government their, their laws, supersede the laws of God. And there was a group of people, a congregation of brotherly love, who said, regardless of what happens and regardless of what's going on and regardless of how... in how trying this may be, we are not going to deny his name. We're not going to deny his authority. We're going to keep his word in spite of all. He says to that people, I'm going to guard you. I'm going to be with you because I'm going to work through you to be a light in the midst of all the darkness. We've got one more session in this topic. Join me next week. We're going to be talking about the days of Noah. Shalom. Like what you're hearing? Become a Bill Cloud Premium Partner to watch or listen to hundreds of hours of teachings and resources on demand. Go to BillCloud.com slash subscribe to start watching today.